not coming from a farming background, I felt really um, out of place as a as a young dairy vet in in a very intensive dairy country with a lot of very very good farmers. And I had to learn quite quickly how to learn from the farmers without making it really obvious I was learning. Welcome to the MacVet podcast, the show that talks about communication, cows and coffee. I'm Fiona McGilvery, and today I'm talking to dairy vet and data scientist Stuart Russell. Stuart, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Fiona, and thanks for inviting me on. Um, looking forward to our chat this morning. Me too, very much so. So how would you describe what it is that you do? Um, <laughs> tricky. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I've, 50, I've qualified 15 years ago, and I've been working in a, a dairy practice for, for that long, pretty much. Um, and for the first... I'd say 10 years I was I was spending I was acting like a, a normal dairy vet on the rotor um, in the evenings turning up on dairy farms and trying to help solve problems as well as as doing fertility work and trying to trying to support the dairy farmers um, in decisions to try and improve their business try and improve the health and the productivity of the business of the health of the animals and the productivity of the business um, and what we do day to day as dairy vets is work alongside other advisors as well as the farmers themselves um, and hopefully together we can produce something that, that helps the business progress into the future. And now in the last two years, well for about, for about 10 years I've been trying to learn how to use data better um, and that involved postgraduate degrees, it involved a lot, a lot of time spent learning how to program computers and, and learning how to analyze data in, in a pretty serious way. Um, and the last couple of years, I've been spending about 20% of my time on dairy farms. I'm still on the rotor. I still go to some of the herds that I used to go to before. Um, and then the rest of my time is trying to trying to use the code, the computer code I've already written um, and make it available to more people. Um, so, so trying to help create decision tools for dairy farmers um, that might help them make better decisions in the real world. Mm. It sounds a very interesting uh, pathway that you've uh, that you've traversed from, uh, as you say, qualifying, doing 10 years dairy vetting and then sort of really specialising in this almost a bit of a, would you say it's a niche position? I think it's, it's, it's going to be the way it has. I think everybody thinks it's the way of the future that we have to make more informed decisions. We, dairy farming is all about de gambling. Um, we gamble based on what we think the food price is going to be next month, what we think the milk price is going to be next month, um, and every decision we make in dairy farming, every decision dairy farmers make is is a bit of a gamble. It's a bit unknown, um, and the more information we can bring in, and the better quality analysis. Um, we can bring in play to help gamble better, the more likely we are to get better health in the herd and better productivity of the cows. Um, and ultimately, you hope that improves the economics. Now, you see all this stuff about um, AI coming in in all sorts of industries and disrupting the industries. Uh, it's been pretty topical in the last few months. Um, and that's definitely, it's already happened in dairy farming and it will continue to happen. 
Um, so I'm hoping I can get into a bit of a niche here because I know that the people who are very good at creating machine learning models or, um, or very fancy statistics are not always, they don't always know what's going on in dairy farms um, and vice versa. And I'm hoping I can sit in the middle because I can certainly do some pretty fancy stuff with data and, and models, predictive models, but also I, I know what's really needed for dairy farmers. If you ask a data scientist what they, what they could produce, they could come up with all the blue sky thinking, but they don't necessarily know what the farmer needs. Mm. Um, so I can hope I can sort of traverse in the middle there and, and maybe bring teams together as well that's, that can help each other. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. So Stuart, what led you into this role? Is it, had you always wanted to be a vet? I think growing up, I, I always loved working with animals and that's a terrible, terrible way to go into veterinary world. That's a very, that's a big no-no. Um, you've got to be working with animals, but you've got to also have something else that drives you really. Um, and I think I was, I was brought up in a family of two doctors and I guess it was easy for me to fall into medicine, um, but my parents pretty much hated working for the NHS and they said, no, no, don't do this. Um, and over time, I think I, I, I graduated towards, well, I'd always loved working alongside animals, being outdoors, um, definitely didn't want to be stuck in an office all day, which is a bit ironic now um, with how much time I spend in a computer. Mm -hmm. And probably came to the decision on veterinary veterinary science quite late in my my student life if I had done probably when I was 16 or 17 I really became focused on 16 and I was young in my year so that was yeah when I, that was probably GCSE time I was really focused on veterinary, veterinary science but with the amount of experience students these days have to, to have to have to even get looked at by a university that would be that'd be too late for many people um, lots of people who get into university now have been going to riding stables and and getting seeing practice from age of 12 um so i i i was surprised i'd be surprised if i would get into university now because of the amount of experience i had um but from the moment i entered university i really enjoyed it i enjoyed the the diversity of the degree um and how many avenues so how many avenues it can take you down um, i didn't realize i was interested in business and economics and yet that's become a big part of my job um and then same again now with, with data, it's, I hadn't considered this would be a thing when I left university and didn't know, I didn't know anything about coding, computer code programming. That's all been since I qualified. Um, so yeah, that, but that's been supported by the vet degree, really. It's been, made it worthwhile learning this um, because I can, I can see I can use it to answer questions that, that I otherwise couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. So it's almost been the foundation for you to discover these new sort of areas that you that you've now got the massive interest in, and as you say, it's dry, shaping your your kind of new direction, I suppose. Definitely, I think you you need you, everybody needs some motivation from somewhere, um, and I I wish I were more financially motivated. I should be more financially motivated, but I'm really motivated by just answering questions and curiosity. Um, and if I didn't have dairy farmers asking me questions that I couldn't answer, um, I wouldn't have gone down any of this route. I would, I would probably be, I'd probably have found something else to keep me motivated, something else that interested me. Um, and it's been great to be able to, to be able to be driven by a question or a, an idea that I wasn't able to resolve in my head 
and then go and investigate it as much as I could with all this data that was available. Um, and often that meant I had to learn new techniques. Mm-hmm. So what do you enjoy most about your work? And, and would you say that's maybe changed since you first graduated? It, I'm sure it has changed. When I, when I first graduated, I loved going and calving cows, um, meeting farmers, uh, learning about their farms. I mean, I suppose we're on communication in this as well, aren't we? So that a big part of my not coming from a farming background, I felt really um, out of place as a as a young dairy vet in, in a very intensive dairy country with a lot of very, very good farmers. And I had to learn quite quickly how to learn from the farmers without making it really obvious I was learning. So things like asking the questions in the right way so that it made it sound like you knew generally but you didn't know specifically for that farm um, that was a great trick to learn so for example um, if I didn't know when people took a first cut silage then you could ask oh when do you take first when do people take when do people cut silage how do you make silage you could ask those sort of questions Mm -hmm. or you could say well when do you manage to get your silage in around here Or, or you know as if you knew from somewhere else and I think that was a hard hard tightrope to walk but I, I think hopefully every vet still learns from their farm, their clients every day. Um, and the day we stop learning from them and learning from the, the, their experiences and learning from what they've seen elsewhere, I think is the day we need to reconsider our roles. Um, so it's probably quite a good, a, a good thing to learn early in my career that I need to be humble enough to, to, to learn from my clients. Mm-hmm. I love that. Uh, I mean, same sort of similar sort of position as you say not coming from a farming background and you're absolutely hit the nail on the head that not wanting to look like a total uh, idiot thinking gosh I have no idea how this works so I love your insight which was the well let's ask in the right way so I don't look like Mm. a total idiot but I still get those answers and because as you say if you don't ask you won't learn Um, and so yeah probably that would stunt your progress and feelings definitely. of success through through being a farm vet yeah definitely and i think there's that's a to remain motivated it, it's very demotivating to feel like you don't know enough to on a topic to advise someone if you're in the advisory role you need to feel like confident um and if you don't know the basics you won't have the confidence to give advice on things you actually do know about mm-hmm. um but that so learning from the farmers was something I enjoyed from early early stage and, and getting to know those farms really well. Being outdoors, brilliant. Being able to take off time, you can may have a very difficult call. Um, it was really physically or emotionally or, or technically challenging. Um, and being able to walk away and, and drive to the next call and have that 15 minutes was, was brilliant because it, it allows you to just de-stress. I can't imagine working as a vet in a, in a, in a small animal practice where you might you might have a very difficult old dog that needs very much loved dog that needs to be put to sleep, um, a very sad situation. And then and then f- five minutes later, you've got a bunch of puppies running around and, and you've got to you'd be shifting your emotions very quickly. And that, that'd be very difficult for me, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and now what do I enjoy in my, my career? I enjoy people listening to me. I really enjoy being having some sort of influence on farms um, and trying to help people progress. Um, I love being around cows still, which is something that that 
I'm going to have to try and get the balance right because I can spend all my day in front of computers if I wanted to. But I, I love mm -hmm. just interacting with cows. I love animal handling, actually, trying to trying to get cows to interact with cows so that they do things that you need them to do without any stress. You know, mm -hmm. one person being able to get a slightly stressed cow into a into a into a headlock into a cubicle so that you can you can do what you need to do with them. Um, I find that a challenge every day and I really enjoy when we can we can just the small things of animals just watching what you need them to do and eventually doing it slowly without stress that's that's great for me mm -hmm. um, and it's great to be able to teach people who've been around cows all their lives sometimes forget the simple things about animal handling and, mm -hmm. and things they could do to to make things better and I love teaching that as well so mm -hmm. so yeah. Which I was going to ask you, you mentioned earlier, you, well, I think you said you maybe wish you were a little bit more motivated to, on the financial side, but yeah. it sounds as though your motivation is, is those sort of simple things, which is, well, how, how would you say you measure your success on farm? Early in my career, I measured my success by the client's opinions of me. Mm -hmm and also my client's success um, and that was that was great to some degree but it sets you up to be quite frustrated when a client doesn't listen to you and the problems continue um, I've seen that in colleagues that that really it can be quite destructive because you're always seeing your your um, measure of success from the outside um, you're, you're relying on someone else's opinion of you to 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 see some self-worth in yourself mm -hmm. um, over time I think because I have these these topics that just interest me um, these questions that I'd like to resolve and I'd like to answer I think I see that as being successful um, in the short term if I can answer those topic those those questions that nobody else has ever answered or could ever answer I find that really really motivating um, but then what I need to be doing, what's really my idea of success for the future is to try and turn some of these things that I've been able to do for particular projects for certain individual farmers, for legal cases, for, you know, I've done some really complex stuff that's really brought out some important um, information from those from that data. But to try to, to move from that to allow more people to use that information and more people to use those tools um, that will be my future marker of success, um, and we'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Moving on from that then, what have been some of the learnings that you've made about how communication can influence what is done on farm? I think, that's a good question, Fiona. Um, <laughs> I think, well, one thing I, I have, so I'll go on to things that I've learned in a bit, but things that I've heard from other people that have I've been really trying to to implement myself um, in conversations between advisors and and clients. Um, there's always the potential for for there to be on one there to be a, an unbalanced communication. One side might have more knowledge than the other side, or more information than the other side. Um, not necessarily at all, by the way. But if there's this perceived imbalance, 
it's always possible that the person who's listening to that conversation or receiving the information from the advisor isn't so willing to say that when they don't understand something, when they haven't, when the advisor hasn't put it across correctly or in a way that they feel confident in the, in the advice. And it's something I've tried to learn things, simple things like I could finish a sentence with, does that make sense as a question? Hmm. Um, I might have tried to, to, to say something really difficult and challenging for me to try to describe and then and throw away, does that make sense? And the person listening, from what I understand, that puts someone, the person listening on the back foot. It's, it's, it's up to them to admit when it doesn't make sense. And that's almost blocking that line of communication. It, they, they're less likely to say that, they, that it doesn't make sense because they have to admit that they didn't understand. Um, and as an advisor, I've been trying to, to change that to be, did I explain that correctly? Did I explain that well enough? Um, because then the onus is on me. If the, if, if the person didn't understand, then it's my fault, not theirs. Um, so that's been something I've really trying to work on. Other things, not everybody likes graphs. <laughs> you can make very complicated graphs and people look at them and, and, and don't understand any of it. And it might be the best graph in the world, as far as I'm concerned, um, but it didn't convey any information to the person who was reading it. So I've been trying to learn from from um, journalists. They they often make the graphs in a different way than than a a scientist would make them, laid out differently, maybe missing the legend, maybe more relying on colours, and they using science are putting information across better to a a public who isn't who doesn't enjoy looking at graphs. So I'm trying to take take learnings from them. Um, there's even silly things like how you how people's eyes move around a graph and that the traditional scientific way of laying out graphs can be extremely complicated because it relies on your eyes moving around a graph in a very odd way mm. and the way that journalists lay, lay out graphs they move from the top to the bottom and from the left to the right in one sweep and that's really what we need because it's much easier to understand information then um, but I think the most important thing is try to put across the information in in a way that the user would want and that's probably different for every user so some people like graphs some people like to be spoken to face to face um, some people like a text message or a whatsapp because it doesn't disturb their day they can sit and read it in detail when it suits them um, and that's difficult to try to to get the balance right for everybody but but i'm trying anyway i'm trying mm -hmm. i think that's the biggest change isn't it as you say recognizing how can I change and adapt to the way I communicate with others so that you can both connect better um, and as you say recognizing other styles can really make a difference can't it in how effective that communication can be could you Absolutely, share any yeah. could you share any examples where you felt you've had some of your best results so can I say the other way around can mm -hmm. I say when I when I had my least success? Good that's idea. maybe easier. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I spent I spent so I had one issue on a farm where we were trying to improve how the the milkers were were preparing the teats, um, mm -hmm. how well they were stimulating the teats, how well they were wiping the teats, um, trying to get the timings right between first touch and and, and wiping and, and clusters on. Um, it's really important, as you know, it's really important for, for comfort in the parlour, cow comfort in the parlour, as well as milk let down, as well as 
T10 damage and mastitis, all sorts of things. Um, but it's not easy to monitor. Nobody wants to be standing there watching cows, watching people put clusters on all the time. So I spent I spent a couple of months playing with data on the farm um, and using live stream data from the from the computer, analyzing it in real time in the cloud and sending it back to a, a screen in front of the milkers that could say how well that cow was being prepped at that time. And the little series of cows um, in a row, it could show that, oh, well, hang on, something is, is affecting their milk letdown now. You're not doing this right. Um, and you could show them if I shouted in the parlor, then then the cows stopped letting down, letting down their milk. It was really re very much real time. Mm -hmm. As soon as I stopped shouting or they stopped shouting, then, then the cows started to relax and you could see things moving in the right direction. Um, that was felt awesome to me. And it looked awesome to people watching it, but it was completely not successful because the milkers just didn't look. And, and what what was required, we tried to talk to them about what was, you know, why we're doing this. And it was only once they really engaged with with why we care about this. Um, and that took a long time to get them to engage and understand why we care and why it is in their interests to do this. Um, then, then it, we started to to, to get them to do things the way they should rather than cutting corners. Because um, there's always this motivation that if I do things the wrong way, if it feels quicker to me, then it will be quicker. And that's a, a strong motivator. I get to finish early and I get to go home and, and have my rest and come back later. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only once we can unify the motivation, I suppose, we can make them realize that it's in their interests that the cows are more comfortable in the parlor it, it saves them time in the long run, even if it doesn't save them time in the short run. Um, it's only then that they really engaged. Um, so that was a big failure of mine, really, because I felt like I'd done a great job. And honestly, um, we probably targeted the wrong problem. We really need to target communication better, trying to get across the information why they should care. Um, so yes, there's one of my failures. It was I good at the time, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. No, I can see why that stuck in your mind. and. But as they always say, you know, from failures, you learn so much, don't you? So yeah. perhaps it was a, a good experience looking back on it. Definitely. It was, it was it, I still would love to get back to it again. But my, my learning experience was that we needed to have that face of more face to face communication and make sure we could get across the why, not just the, the information about the fact that they're doing it wrong or when they're mm -hmm. doing it well. Mm -hmm. um, things that have gone well. Um, I, I always enjoy legal cases because it gives me the data heavy legal cases. It, it's frustrating and takes a long time, but it gives me the scope to, to really dig into a problem, um, and to really find out the, the full effect of some feed, um, incorrectly specified feed or some, something, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then trying to communicate that back. It's easy enough for me to quantify losses or um, or health effects, but trying to communicate that back to the farmer um, that shouldn't be so hard. Trying to communicate back to lawyers is potentially mm -hmm. much more difficult because they're not subject experts at all. Mm -hmm. um, but that's where hopefully I've had some good success because it can be very frustrating for farmers to to see the response from the other side that says no, this didn't hurt. We're not we're not taking any responsibility. It wasn't me. It was something else. And to be able to show, well, hang on, 
you know, there's data here that's that how else do you explain this data? You know, that's great because then you can really support um, support someone in that having gone through a difficult situation for their business, at least you can help them. So you've worked with some of the largest dairies in the UK. Uh, what kind of numbers are we looking at there? Well, some of the largest in the UK, um, we're talking between two and a half thousand milkers, the 2,700 milkers and single site. And then there'd be some 4,000 to 5,000 cow milkers across many sites. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's the sort and, of numbers. And how, how does your relationship differ in those sort of situations from the work you might have done previously with the smaller herds? I still work with smaller herds, but, but data is value is extremely valuable to larger herds, obviously. Um, how does the relationship differ? For the larger herds, they have many advisors. You have to work as part of a team. There'll be a genetics advisor, maybe many genetics advisors. There'll certainly be a nutritionist, uh, vet advisor. There may well be people to do with advising to do with milking parlors. Um, there'll be someone advising to do with lameness as well, potentially. And you've got to, it, it's challenging to try and get everybody in the same room together, for mm. sure, that can always be difficult. So making sure everybody has the same information um, is probably the best we can do. And then trying to remember that my focus potentially, let's let's just say my favorite topic was, was fertility. Well, someone else's favorite topic, if they're advising on the milking parlor, might be teat health, teat and health or mastitis. Someone else's favorite topic might be economics, um, economic feed costs. Someone else might be worrying about production or economics of the business. And trying to navigate between all those different primary motivators can be really challenging. Um, and in that situation where there's lots of advisors, I have to remem- remember that so long as someone's listened to me and at least considered my opinion mm. before discounting it, then I should be happy about that. Um, what frustrates me is if someone doesn't listen. Because mm-hmm. what I've got to remember is my, my, the reason I've thought that might be completely different to the main, reason, main thing the farmer needs to focus on. So perhaps I was mainly focused on, on fertility effects, but actually he needs to think about the overall economics. Or maybe we need to think about lameness at the moment rather than the fertility effects. Mm-hmm. Um, so on the larger herds we have to deal with these multiple advisors that certainly happens on smaller herds but it's easier to be in a situation where you're the only advisor or maybe one of two and it's easier to then to then um, come to some sort of common conclusion and some common advice interesting thank you um, you've got a strong presence on social media uh, with quite a significant fo- a number of followers on twitter uh, what approach do you take with your messaging and uh, what do you use that platform for? Um, less recently, probably, than I used to. Um, you, whether you, you probably don't know, but I, I set up the, the Twitter account originally for Nantwich, so Nantwich Farm Vets, um, and did everything there. I had no profile myself, personally, on Twitter for a few years. Um, and it was only after we got plenty of followers on Nantwich account I, it was only after a few years someone said to me, well, Stuart, you really should be doing this yourself, um, mm-hmm. not just for Nantwich. So I sort of slowed down on the Nantwich one and other people took over, which is great. And then I started setting up my account again from zero on Twitter and elsewhere. Um, I haven't got into Snapchat and, and Instagram, mm-hmm. which I really should. 
Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I've not kept up with the times on some of that. Um, I previously just said stuff I was interested in on Twitter, um, especially when I was doing it on my own behalf. And sometimes that was interesting to other people. Um, sometimes it wasn't. I'm sure that's still the case now. Um, I went through a bit where I felt like I was represent. I still do feel a bit of a representative for the dairy industry some of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel some professional responsibility to to call out bad information um, when I occasionally when I see it. You know, if I see someone attacking the health of dairy fa- dairy cows, um, attacking attacking the welfare of dairy cows, dairy farming. I feel like I have a responsibility as as someone who is involved in dairy farming, but hopefully relatively informed about it, um, to be able to say, well, hang on, that's not entirely true. You you've got to be able to, you know, that I've been to some extremely high welfare, very large intensive herds, which doesn't fit the message of of some people who are against the dairy industry. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my position is always well. Hang on, welfare is not reliant on system. Welfare so much depends on the the um, the conscientiousness of the staff and the motivations of the business. Um, and sometimes there's some difficult things that that people have have not really considered. That they assume that a big intensive factory farm in inverted commas would necessarily be bad for welfare, but a profitable business is able to reinvest in the housing of the cows and in the in the staff they have and in the the care of their animals and actually profitability can can result in exceptional welfare because the cows can have a much better environment and much better care um unprofitable businesses that's potentially a very bad thing for the world because the cows then have to deal with this difficult situation they have to live in um and that doesn't fit the message that people want to put across uh, the anti-dairy people want to put across because they want to say well profitability is a bad thing and I'm afraid it's not it depends on how you use that money um, so I've, I've been tra- feeling a professional responsibility in social media to at least discuss that sort of thing sort of thing sometimes um, I have certainly had times where it's been completely overwhelming for me I take big long breaks from social media these days um, and then get back into it for a bit and 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 then get away from it Um, And it's something I've been trying to communicate to colleagues as well that, you know, not even the public social media, WhatsApp is everywhere. Everyone communicates with clients um, on WhatsApp these days. Mm -hmm. And I have tens of groups, probably, you know, probably a hundred groups from different farmers. Some farms have multiple different groups and that can completely take up your life especially when we go back to motivations, especially when you're motivated as a young vet by your clients listening to you and wanting to take your advice. Because then the first thing you do when you see a message at two in the morning is reply. Mm. And you feel like you're, you get the reward because the client listens to you, but it becomes so much of your life that you never get a break. You never can walk away from your clients. You never get to de-stress. And over a, few, over a year or two, that suddenly becomes, I hate my job, I, can't, I never get a rest. Um, and something I've tried to tell colleagues, it's something I've learned myself is we should be using WhatsApp as a, as a messaging system, you know, message board, let's say it's not a way to get access to vets directly or get access to farmers directly immediately. It's great if that happens, but don't be insulted if, if you shouldn't feel bad about not replying until the morning or until the Monday. Um, and if it's an emergency, well, people need to know not to contact people via WhatsApp and ring the practice or something else. Cause 
you know, we talk about mental health and stress in the workplace. That's one of them that drives it, I'm afraid, just permanent availability. Mm, really um, well said. Mm-hmm. Very important. Yeah. yeah. What would you say your proudest achievement has been? I shouldn't say it, but, but being involved in, in big herds, that really that makes me proud to be involved in, in high profile herds. Um, I shouldn't say it because I'm taking my motive, my, my sense of self-worth from outside. Um, I'm proud that I got through different challenging courses when I was pretty young and did well in them. Um, and trying to do that alongside, alongside work as well is, is really difficult. Um, so I'm proud I managed to get through that. Um, I should be proud of I've I'm still married to my wife. I'm amazed that she's still married to me because <laughs> the amount of time I spend outside work on a laptop or something else is just ridiculous, especially learning, learning all computer coding. I mean, nobody but her will ever realize how much time I've spent mm-hmm. doing that um, and how much of my life I've probably and her life as well. I've probably given up by by doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's extremely supportive there. Is she a data um, uh, person as well? Or? Not, not. No, she's a vet. She's a she's a she's mm-hmm. a she's a farm vet herself. Um, she certainly uses data day to day, but she wouldn't be interested at all in half the stuff I'm I'm doing. She's mm-hmm. only interested in the outcome, the tool that's there at the end, or the graph, or the 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 thing we've learnt from it. Mm-hmm. And. and- would she yeah. give you, would she be someone like a sounding board for you to, if she's a farm vet, to sort of ask, you know, does this make sense? Definitely. Did I explain this correctly? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, but yes. Um, and especially on the business side as well, it's, it's very, it's very difficult for when I'm sitting in the middle of, I'm so involved in a project or I'm so involved in making a, an interesting tool that's online. I forget that that not everybody might see it as so useful or not everybody might see the, the real business implications of this. Um, so it's great to be able to just talk to her about it and say, well, you know, do you see how you would use this and how would you use this? Um, is Does this provide interesting information for me? And obviously she's she's going to be honest with me, sometimes viciously honest with me. <laughs> but 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 yes, I mean, that, yeah. that's great to have. And I'm not convinced that would always be the case if it were just business partners um, because everybody in the business would think this tool is great, amazing, mm-hmm. and and maybe forget that yeah. n- not all your customers might see the use for it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And and that's a challenge. Communication. How do I? The fundamental issue I have, as someone who's trying to use data better, you know, in more detailed ways, um, is getting across the idea that we can simulate what would have happened if you did something. But what current looking at averages and and looking at you know some summary summaries of of previous information, which is commonly what people use to try to give advice on farms, is not how you do it. If if last month's fertility doesn't predict next month's fertility, it was utterly useless. We shouldn't be looking at it. Um, all we care about is what happens next month. And if the data from last month can help us with that, brilliant. We should be using it. Um, and a big challenge for me is is trying to differentiate between what we currently do and what data could help us with. Um, and I can do it in my mind, but it's hard to try to communicate that with clients sometimes who mm-hmm. might not see why we're trying to do this weird thing. And what we're trying to do is say, well, what would have happened next month if you carried on doing this? 
and 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 if we do make a different decision what would have happened and what's the financial difference between those two decisions mm -hmm. yeah mm. so where do you see yourself in the next five to ten years i hope that i will still be involved with cows day to day i still pd you know a, a few hundred cows a, a week uh, a couple of hundred cows a week probably these days mm -hmm. um I hope I still get to see them. I hope I get to still, you know, spend time in cow sheds. What I I I need to be able to do is have make these decision tools available to more people. Um, in five years' time, I would hope many more people are able to see these tools that you know AI generating AI predictions and be able to interact in a way that makes sense to them, um, which is good, which is a challenge to get right, but. But that would be great if more farmers can and more advisors can use these tools I've, been, I've built over the last few years. Um, and in 10 years' time, who knows? I'm sorry. Don't know. I, again, mm -hmm. I hope I'm still working with cows. Um, mm -hmm. But I wouldn't put it past me to be living a simple life on a beach somewhere, just me and my wife. You know, that type of thing is, is very attractive to me. But I would lose out on that mental stimulation that I love solving problems. Um, mm -hmm. And I love solving problems that will help cows and help dairy farms. Now, Stuart, I know you are a coffee drinker also. Um, any particular favourite coffee? How would you put yourself, how would you rate yourself on the coffee snobometer? Oh, uh, hopefully not very high, but, but <laughs> other people are there to judge. Um, <laughs> I drink far too much coffee and I probably don't know enough about it. In preparation for this, because I was worried you might ask something like this, <laughs> <laughs> I was I was going to say, well, look, we, we've got a Lavazza machine at, the, at home and have a, a nice selection of coffees that we buy with that. Mm -hmm. I enjoy that. Um, I really, really like that. The I haven't gone down the line of fancy um, brewing, other fancy brewing equipment or mm -hmm. um, things like this. I wanted to tell you a story about coffee that, that just probably goes towards the snob on snobometer um, I I shouldn't say where I went because it might give the game away but I went to a place um, that was serving happened to be serving very fancy coffee um, and walked in and the guy sat us down and said right and and he started pretty much pre it was just us me, me my wife and him in the room um, and he started telling us about how, about his coffee, which was really interesting, where he sourced it from. Um, but then it moved on to how other companies prepare their coffee, how they roast their coffee, talking about Starbucks and how they completely burn their coffee to make sure everybody is, is um, make sure every cup is the same. But also to, then all these millions of people can't, they're not drinking coffee, they're drinking something completely different. And I sat there listening, you know, nodding and smiling and thinking, well, I don't particularly enjoy Starbucks coffee, but that's okay. Yeah. I, do, I do certainly drink it. But then I'm sitting there thinking, well, who are you to say that mm. your coffee, you one person in this world, is the only correct person when there were millions of people around this world who enjoy Starbucks coffee every day and enjoy mm -hmm. the the caramel macchiato and that you are saying is just not, they shouldn't be drinking it. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope that both in coffee and elsewhere in the, in, in the world, I can sort of toe the line between, you know, things I value, I, I'll, I'll enjoy myself, but I shouldn't remember, shouldn't think that someone else might value those things in the same way as I do. Mm -hmm. And I think that was his mistake that he was seeing all these, you know, all these nuanced flavors in the coffees he was giving us um, 
but he might he'd forgotten that other people might not value those flavors in the same way uh, might not want to spend whatever it was 10 pound a cup or something i don't know mm. um and might actually enjoy the caramel macchiato the sweetness the the flavor of a starbucks coffee mm-hmm. um so yeah i hope i can toe the line one day um, <laughs> well yeah. like you say that, that there are some people that just get so um consumed probably by their own uh passion for for that and you're right actually mm. that's probably a warning shot across my bow as well <laughs> not to get but the too thing obsessed is, but you're right but the thing is that it's absolutely fine to be obsessed about coffee it's it mm-hmm. that's something i enjoy it's something you enjoy mm-hmm. that's fine I can I could go into every intricate detail about computer code if I wanted to. I enjoy that, mm. but I shouldn't necessarily expect someone else to to want to know all that detail. And the same with yeah. the coffee, the the value is different. Um, mm-hmm. Perhaps someone next to me doesn't care as much about the detail and just wants the outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, Fiona, I'm I'm going to start asking you a question. I'm sure in your ta- your previous careers, have you ever done the the personality profiling tools? Um, we you classify people into different colors and colors and uh-huh. different... the uh, insights that's one that's yeah that's one i think we did mm-hmm. um that's that goes to this coffee idea as well that yeah perhaps i am in that system i think i was very blue because I, I i i wanted to go away and analyze the situation i wanted to to come to a conclusion on my own and then bring it to the the client or bring mm-hmm. it to someone else whereas some of my colleagues were extremely, they call it red, where they, they just wanted the outcome. They were very motivated by actions and um, just wanted to know the, the summary, summary of the problem and the summary of the, the, um, the advice. Mm-hmm. And, and perhaps we're the same. You know, in, you're saying you love the, perhaps you love the detail of coffee and, and you want to, you'd like all the extra flavors in the background. Someone else just wants the drink. And mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean they're wrong either. It's just mm-hmm. it's just a different way of appreciating it. Um, it's a yeah. really good point, and and I love that. I love that um, insights uh, approach to understanding how you are. I think my learning from that was, to your point, don't. It's almost some people use it as an excuse. That's how I how how I've um, experienced working with other people who've gone through that process, and that's obviously not the intention like you've just explained, it's understanding how perhaps your personality is, but then appreciating, well, if I'm speaking to someone who's a different colour, maybe it's in my best interest. If I want to have a good relationship or, or you know, communicate effectively with this person, I need to adapt my style. And I think that certainly sounds as though it's something you've identified from our conversation right from the start. It's having that self-awareness, isn't it? And, and adapting to have an overall better outcome. Um, I completely so. agree. And it, that that's, it was huge. That, that insights thing was a game changer for me because I didn't mm. realize how, I always felt I had to explain why I'd come to a conclusion because that's what I would want to hear. I would want mm. to hear someone saying, well, I went through this process and I went through this process and this is why I think the advice is correct. Or this is why mm-hmm. I think this is the, 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 the solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but I know that one of my bosses at the time did not want to hear any of that from me. He wanted to hear what I'd come up with. Mm. And he would get, I'm sure, quite frustrated hearing all that stuff from me. And it was going through those, those um, that insights, you know, the insights personality profiling thing mm. that helped me understand how I should adapt my communication for him. Mm-hmm. And he certainly realized he had to be more patient with me. Mm-hmm. And that it's the same with our clients. I can see clients that I should be sending things to 
a couple of days in advance and let them peruse it and then we can have that chat mm -hmm. and others that just wouldn't care they just want to know what the advice is mm -hmm. um, so no, hugely valuable like you say but it's about mm -hmm. how I change my own communication rather than rather than saying oh I can't talk to this person mm -hmm. yeah absolutely now Stuart again another hard question favorite cow breed oh I graduated thinking Holsteins were stupid and <laughs> I love them now um, yeah. I, I was I was quite anti-Holstein um, and I just spend so much time with them now I'm just fascinated by them they're incredible animals absolute athletes and yet mm -hmm. how how on earth can animals like that get, get in calf and stay healthy when they produce so much food and so much milk and it's just amazing and yet they do um, so it's just fascinating to me mm -hmm. Yeah, I've a, I have a small yeah. soft spot for Dexters because I have friends oh. who keep them, but uh -huh. but that's not really that's not really my main focus. Holsteins is everything to me, really. Uh -huh. Yeah, no, that makes sense. For the right situation, don't yes. buy a Holstein if if it doesn't suit your system <laughs> or your farm. Don't do that. But I, if the farm suits it, I think it's they're amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Undoubtedly. And is there anything else you'd like to share that you think would be important for listeners to hear? I think it's. I, I once stood up at a, a vet conference and gave a pretty out of uh, out of the box talk about what they, I think it was onflow skepticism, navel gazing, um, trying to look at ourselves and see how much of the things we already rely on are actually, you know, not true. You know, how much of the fundamental information about vet science or about farming um, might not be correct and we're relying on this simple stuff to to then build on those simple facts and in inverted commas and come out with you know the, our advice on farm or or the treatments we're using for cows um, and when you go back to some of those fundamental things if you go look at the research it sometimes isn't very good um, and nobody goes and looks at the old research they've just assumed these are facts uh, and, and coming from the outside of farming um, there are certainly some downsides, but there's been some great upsides for me as well because I I was forced to take every to learn everything afresh and forced to be skeptical about everything I I saw on farm. I didn't get to fall back on oh this is the way my dad did it or this is the way my brothers do it. Um, I had to learn that for myself, and that meant I didn't learn some of the the bad habits or the the assumed truths. Mm -hmm. um, I looked at them for myself, and that was a huge advantage because it sort of taught me to. To, to continue to do that and to be skeptical. Uh, the, the challenge, and I think we all need to be more skeptical in you know, social, looking at social media, listening to advisors, be skeptical. You know, maybe the advisor doesn't, isn't looking at the same outcome that matters to you. Um, so be skeptical and, and try to, to analyze, to, to interpret advice and information in, in light of what you care about, not just in, in, in what the, the social media report was. Mm -hmm. um, and the, but the challenge for me, and I think for everybody, is you can go into skepticism and say, well, do I really believe this? But you can tip over into cynicism where you just don't believe anything you hear. Um, and that's really bad. Then you only assume you're right all the time. And that's mm -hmm. a very bad situation to be in. So trying to toe the line, I think it's so important for all, us all to be skeptical, but be willing to listen to new information, interpret it fairly, not just, not just say everything new is wrong. Mm -hmm. um, I think we'll all have challenges with that as we as we go through our careers and get older. Mm -hmm. And the more drained we get by seeing random things on social media, the more cynical we'll become, which mm -hmm. is not great. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm going to share with everybody. Be skeptical and and be skeptical of yourself, too. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that was a great, uh, great point to finish on. Thank you, Stuart. And well, I've absolutely loved talking with you this morning. Thank you so much for your time, Stuart, and sharing all your experiences and insights. And I really look forward to speaking with you again soon. Yeah, thanks very much, Fiona. I've enjoyed myself too this morning. It's been great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Please follow or subscribe to the show so you can join me next time when I'll be talking more about communication, cows and coffee.